0: I'm Tavis Smiley, and I'm delighted to have you tuned into our program today. If you miss any part of this program, you can always check out the Tavis Smiley podcast by going to the The to hear any part of our program that you may miss at any point in time. But I'm delighted to have you along live with us uh, right now. In this hour, two conversations on the B side of this hour. In 1900, James Van Der took his first photo with a new Kodak box camera. Now, uh, uh, photos are everywhere. Everybody's got phones taking photos all the time. But he introduced the public. To the concept of the snapshot and over the next 80 years vander z made a career of taking photos of black american life based out of his harlem studio we'll celebrate him on the back side of this hour we commence this hour though talking with our friend meta malik about her new book reimagine inclusion debunking 13 myths to transform your workplace meta good to have you back on the program and congrats on the book how are you today
1: I am great. Thanks, Tavis, for having me back. I'm excited for our conversation.
0: No, I'm excited for the conversation as well. So tell me why. I mean, I know your backstory. The audience can uh, hear more about it in just a second. Um, But um, this is your your area of expertise, and uh, I'm I'm curious as to why um, you wanted to to, to push this project out called Reimagine Inclusion, uh, debunking these 13 myths that can help us transform the workplace. We'll get into some of them. But just give me uh, the backstory of what motivates you to do this work every day.
1: The backstory is I've been chasing inclusion all my life, from schoolyards to the classrooms, from conference room to boardroom. And as we talked about, and you've been talking with many guests about, is that there's a really big backlash right now on diversity, equity, and inclusion in our country and globally. And I really wanted to say the quiet parts out loud of what holds us back from making meaningful progress in our workplaces. What are the stories, the myths we tell ourselves? It reminds me, Tavis, of the stories I tell my kids at that time. And we tell ourselves stories in our workplaces. And if we believe those things, they're actually holding us back from building more inclusive cultures. And that's why I wanted to put this book out yeah. at this time. Tell me more about
0: your personal story. I, I am I am struck by the phrase that you use, that you've been chasing inclusion your whole life, chasing inclusion your whole life mm. in a variety of spaces. I love the way you, you frame that, the way you laid it out. But tell me more about your personal journey of chasing inclusion your whole life.
1: So I'm the proud daughter of Indian immigrant parents. My younger brother and I were born and raised in the U.S. And I always say I grew up in a time and a place where it was not cool to be Indian. I was the funny-looking, dark-skinned girl with the long, funny-looking braid whose parents spoke English until it wasn't funny anymore. And I was bullied a lot both verbally and physically by my peers. And I never expected that to happen in my corporate life as well. And, you know, early on, Tavis, I look at my career and I job hopped a lot. Mm -hmm. I didn't stay at a lot of different places. And my eight-year-old is obsessed with Taylor Swift. I'll evoke her for a second. She has a song called Antihero. And there's a line that says, it's me. Hi, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. And I felt that way Mm. for a lot of my career because I just couldn't figure out like, why was I being passed up for promotions? Why wasn't I getting paid fairly and equitably? Why were people constantly questioning if I could speak English well, or how did I get rid of my accent? And then I just came to this place in my career where I was like, well, maybe I'm not the problem. Maybe Mm. it's the world of work that wasn't built for people who looked like me.
0: Yeah. Um, What does the chase for inclusion look like in real time?
1: Oh, exhausting, Mm. tiring, and I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful the world will change for my children and all of our children. It'll be a different world of work. But my job, Tavis, is to really think about how do I interrupt the bias of leaders in those small and everyday moments at work And that's what it looks like. It is about having the right systems and processes in place, as I talk about in Reimagine Inclusion. But guess what? Even when you have those systems and processes in place, I need to come in and thwart the entire system because Mm. of the bias I have. I will wreak havoc upon what we're trying to build. So that's where it's really important for people to think about how they show up.
0: In some ways, this this conversation, and I don't mean you or our dialogue, but this conversation (laughs) about D.E. And I and now belonging, they've added that word. This conversation annoy yeah. this conversation annoys me. <laughs> and I again I'm not talking about you. <laughs> it, it it annoys me because we now live in the most multicultural, multiracial, yeah. multi ethnic America mm-hmm. ever. Ever. And yet, mm-hmm. to your point, there are still people in that America, that diverse America that um, that that uniquely different America from any place on the globe, there are still persons in this space who are chasing inclusion, and there's something about that that just doesn't sit right with me.
1: Hmm. Well, I mean, if we really look at the statistics, who is still running our boardrooms, our companies, who's making decisions on government and entertainment? Mm. And you know that space really well. mm mm-hmm. It is predominantly still individuals who are from the majority group. And so while, as you point out, you know, I talk about the research and Reimagine Inclusion, Procter & Gamble tells us over $5 trillion of spending power with the multicultural consumer. Today, as we sit in the U.S., over 40% of individuals identify as non-white. That number is rapidly changing. And so you ask yourself... Why is there such a backlash? And because they think there's a power shift that's occurring in our country, and will continue to occur.
0: We'll talk when we come forward with Meeta Malik about some of these myths that need to be debunked. Her book is called "Reimagine Inclusion: Debunking 13 Myths to Transform Your Workplace." Meeta Malik, right now on Tavis Smiley. Seeking the truth, the truth. Speaking the truth, speaking speaking the truth, the truth. This, this yes. is the Tavis, the Tavis Smiley Tavis Tavis Show. show. Tavis show. He's rooting for everybody black. Everybody black. Black. More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Right now. Right now. More of Tavis Smiley in dialogue with Mita Malik, author of the new book Reimagine Inclusion, debunking 13 myths to transform your workplace. Uh, we don't have time to go through all 13, Mita, nor would I anyway, because I believe in helping you sell books. <laughs> if we give all the stuff away, then you won't move any product, uh, okay. and that's not why you're here. But I, I do want to go through a few of these, and I'm gonna. I'll, I'll let you choose. Let's let's pick uh, three of them that we can sort of move through in the time we have left here. I'll let you choose which three of the 13 you want to go through, but what are three of these myths uh, that we need to debunk and transform our workplace? Uh, give me the first one and uh, unpack it for me.
1: Sure. How about, Tavis, I'm all for diverse talent as long as they're good. Have you heard that before? <laughs> uh,
0: more than once. More <laughs> Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so one of the things I think about is, would we ever say I'm all for non-diverse talent as long as they're good? Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I talk about is language is important, it's changing. I'm not a diversity hire. I have been called a diversity hire more than once in my career. I have earned this seat, And so why do we think when we have individuals from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different places and spaces that all of a sudden we've lowered the bar and that has to do with our limited worldview Mm -hmm. and our limited interactions with individuals from different communities. Mm -hmm.
0: It says, it says something to me um, about the way they regard us from jump. Um, I talked the other day mm-hmm. about uh, what uh, uh, someone once referred to as the soft bigotry of low expectations. Uh when they, when, when mm-hmm. you when you when you when you wow. hear when you hear that phrase um that you uttered a moment ago, um it's as if it, it's as if they all not as if it, it is, it's the case <laughs> that they, they already have low expectations of you. Yeah, I'm off of the diversity hire as long as they're talented. What why 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 can't they be one of the same? I, I, I remember saying years ago, in a conversation is sometimes the best, sometimes the best man for the job is a woman. So you can be, you can yep. both be a woman and be gifted and be talented. But that, that line of demarcation that they draw when they make that statement, either wittingly or unwittingly says something to me about the way people of color are seen in the first place. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely, and I will tell you, being the lonely only a few times, and you know what that means. Yeah. Being the first woman of color ever on an executive team, I think there's so much pressure to knock this out of the park because if I don't, and I was the first, they will be hard pressed to hire another woman of color for oh, a long yeah. time. But mm-hmm. if it was a white man who failed on the executive team, would we be less reluctant to hire another white man?
0: Yeah. No, I've used to the, f- do the job after. Nope, I've used the yeah. phrase. I've used the phrase many times, to When and where I enter the whole race enters with me. And that's true for you as well. Mm-hmm. When yeah. and where we enter, Powerful. the whole race enters with us. It ain't right. It ain't fair. It ain't just, but it's real. It's as real as rain. That if you are a person of color, if you are Tavis Smiley, if you're Mita Malik, and you get an opportunity, if you fail miserably at that opportunity, yeah. um, you can you can rest assured they, you are going to foreclose on any other opportunity for anybody else who looks like you. And so when you get in mm-hmm. these spaces, when you get in these places, you got to kill it. you got to slay it because you know yes. they're going to judge folk who look like you by whether or not you perform or underperform or overperform. And so you're right. It's a pressure that we shouldn't have to bear. But when and where we enter, the whole race enters with us. I assume you agree with that.
1: Yes, absolutely. That's powerful. Powerful. Uh, the next myth I'll lead you into, we need more people of color and leadership. Let's launch a mentorship program. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're enjoying it. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. you've been in many a room, many a boardroom. Why don't we have more people of color and leadership? It's about mentorship. And I'm going to tell you this, and I'll say it unapologetically and boldly. I keep saying it. I have been over-mentored and under-sponsored in my career. Mm. I've been over-mentored and under-sponsored. And there's a difference. I wouldn't be here on your show without mentors who had been on your show who recommended me to come on your show. But sponsorship is different in our organizations. It's someone who's two levels above you. They have a big P&L. They have access to budget. They're actually, Tavis, in the room when the doors are closed and decisions are being made about your career, they're advocating for you and advancing your career. And that's the difference. Hmm.
0: I love that phrase over mentored and under sponsored. Let me just take it one, one part at a time. The over mentored part. Yes again annoys me. Here I here I am being annoyed again. Um that that, that the over mentored part really it, it, it rubs me raw in part because I've seen so many other situations mm-hmm. where the person of color in the company trains the white person.
1: <laughs> oh yes.
0: You see where I'm going, right? And then mm-hmm. and then the white person gets advanced. They get promoted. But they were in fact trained when they first got there by the person who'd been there for years yeah. doing the job mm-hmm. but could never get promoted. Could never get an opportunity to climb the ladder. So They do the training, and then the person they train, who has less melanin, less color yeah. in their skin, ends up being promoted above them. And so that whole notion of being over mentored, as if we just need y'all to teach us, we just need y'all to train us, it's the same thing to your point mm-hmm. about entertainment. I'm sick of films where there's always a white savior. There's always a white savior in these films. Mm-hmm. You know, we got we have to be over mentored, whether it's on film, whether it's in the workplace. But that notion of over mentored again, always, always just. It makes my skin crawl, in part, as I say, because I've seen so many other instances where people of color, yep. the folk low on the totem pole, do the, on the pole, rather, do the training, but they can never get the advancement, Mita.
1: Absolutely. And the story you share is my story. It's all of our stories. It's happened to me. It's happened to so many people I know in the workplaces. And the final myth I'll leave you with, Tavis, why are you asking for a raise You and your husband make more than enough money. Why are you asking for a raise? You and your husband make more than enough money. And so in this myth, I share a personal story, which I hope everyone listening will check out the book. But it is about this myth that women of color and white women don't negotiate. We often do negotiate. We ask for more and we're dismissed, we're minimized, and we're gaslit. And I always say, I don't have the privilege to wear a hoodie to work. But then if I show up with my nice logo bags and my diamonds, then oh. She, her husband, she makes enough money. Mm. Her partner's making enough. She's carrying a Birkin bag to work. Do you see the car she's driving? I mean, I've been in these conversations where our bias creeps in real quick on how we choose to pay women less.
0: Mm. So that raises a few questions. Let's jump right in. Um, before, I, before, I ask the, before I ask the question, let me, a quick story comes to mind. Um, sure. I was doing a documentary many years ago called Stand, and it was a documentary featuring a bunch of uh, powerful, iconic black men, uh, and we mm-hmm. got we got on a bus and took a bus tour of the civil rights south. And this bus tour was filmed. For those who've seen the documentary, you know what I'm talking about. If not, you can probably find it online somewhere. It's called Stand. Uh, I exec produced and and sort of directed this documentary. And I was with Dick Gregory and Cornel West and Michael Eric Dyson and B.B. Winans and Isaac Hayes and just a just a bus full of these brilliant uh, Eddie Claude at Princeton. All these brilliant black men on this bus as we traveled through the South. And at one point we were we were in. Um uh mason temple this is the place in memphis where dr king gave his final speech the mm-hmm. mountaintop speech and we were talking about black folk in the church because we were in this temple and dick gregory sort of told this story and he wasn't being funny uh, but he was a comedian so dick was always funny, even we and he wasn't trying to be but he was telling this story about in the church that he grew up in his black church how Uh, black folk would save their money and buy themselves a really nice car. And, of course, the cars that black Mm -hmm. folk loved back in the day and still do to some degree are Cadillacs. Uh, That was like Mm -hmm. that was the end all be all for black folk. If you could afford to buy you a brand new Cadillac Uh, and Cadillac made a whole bunch of money off black folk then and still today. But he was telling the story about this particular deacon in his church who had bought this beautiful Cadillac. But the only place and the only time he would drive the Cadillac was to church on Sunday because he knew wow. he knew better than to drive that brand new Cadillac to work during the week oh. for all the judgment uh, and all mm-hmm. the, uh, the 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 uh, dispossession uh, that he uh, uh, and denunciation uh, that he'd be subject to by driving that Cadillac to work. So he he worked hard to save all of his money. But the only place he ever drove the Cadillac was to church on Sundays because he knew in wow. that instance it would be inspiring and empowering to other black folk mm-hmm. in the church. Yeah. But he pay a heavy price for it to drive that Cadillac to work during the week. So here you come now with this great example of wearing your nice uh, duds and, and your, your broken bag. You, you carry all that stuff to work. You end up being judged by that, and you end up being—they yep. they end up refusing to give you a raise— because they're counting your money. You ain't counting their money, but but, but but they're counting your money, and you end up being uh, being penalized for that. So I, I I shared that story on my way to asking this question. What then uh, sure. is, is the deacon supposed to do? What then is the sister with the Birkin bag or the diamonds or the jewels or the nice clothes supposed to do? Should you not go to work and floss a little bit because you're going to be judged by that?
1: I'm going to tell you I've gone the quiet luxury route. I hate to say this. But I have, my husband knows the story. I love my jewelry, Tavis. Mm. I love my diamonds. And I remember going to a leadership offsite. They were about to review my pay. And my husband said, well, why aren't you wearing your engagement ring? I said, I don't want to give them another reason to pay me any less. Wow. And so my call to action in Reimagine Inclusion is a lot of companies are doing the right thing. They have pay equity reviews. They've got systems and processes. But it's me, Nita, how I feel about Tavis. He shows up in the Cadillac. All of a sudden, I decide to pay him less. I'm making those decisions. And so we have to really interrupt our bias because what somebody else, my husband, my partner does, has nothing to do with the value I bring to the company. And how I spend my money or choose not to spend it is not my boss's business.
0: So that phrase you just used, we have to interrupt our bias. It seems to me that 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 the calling has to be much more significant than that. It's not just interrupting our bias; it's um, it's it's stopping, it's, it's stopping it, doing doing away with it. Uh, and, and I'm not sure that that is possible. Let me let me just swing all the way out here. Um yeah, sure. there there are there are there are a number of African Americans, uh, certainly in in the history of this country. Uh, you know some of this, of course, who just decided to give up on America. They just Mm -hmm. didn't think that the white community writ large, our brothers and sisters, white brothers and sisters writ large, ever had the capacity um, to interrupt their bias, much less to stop it, to do anything about it. And so Du Bois, the great black intellectual, just leaves America and says America just, he'd been here for decades trying to get America on the good foot. And he just gave up Mm -hmm. and went to Ghana. Uh, my friend Randall Robinson, who died in the last year or so, uh, founded TransAfrica. Did all the work he did yeah. uh, and could to help get Mandela freed from prison in South Africa. Uh, Randall and many others uh, worked aggressively, assiduously for that day, and it finally came. But after all the success of getting Mandela out of prison and all the other successes he had, he just realized that America was mm. just America just wasn't wasn't capable. Uh, this, the sense was that America just didn't have the capacity, again, writ large, not all white brothers and sisters, but the structures, the systems in this country just were not capable of ever respecting, celebrating, much less reveling in the humanity and the dignity of folk who did not look like them. And so, again, there are a plethora of examples of folk who just gave up on America and walked away. Mm-hmm. I share that story to ask whether or not you think writ large that corporate america uh, white america and those are the same things right white corporate america yeah, are, yeah. There, are do, do you really think uh your your notions of uh, debunking these 13 myths to transform our workplace notwithstanding are they capable of interpreting uh, interrupting are they capable of doing yeah. away with that bias
1: I have to believe they are because I'm not giving up on corporate America. I'm not giving up on our America. It's my America. It belongs right. to all of us. Sure. So I'm not giving up on it. And what it what it speaks to me and what it says is that each of us have to use our voice and, and do the work, meaning if you're in the pay review and someone says, well, Tavis, drive the Cadillac to work he doesn't need the merit increase it's like what does that have to do with the goals and what the points he put on the board this year like yeah. that's the interventions we need that we just can't be silent when comments like that are made and I've seen that too often yeah. and so that's where we have to stand up and protect each other um, and stand up for what's right in our workplaces so I continue to this work because I'm not giving up
0: yeah that requires. Um, I'm now thinking of Maya Angelou. Speaking of great Americans, uh, yeah. Maya Angelou once told me, like he told me many times, that courage, courage is like a muscle. It's got to be worked out mm-hmm. like any other muscle in your body. You don't just pop up into a review board meeting all of a sudden and end up being Absolutely. courageous. It just it doesn't work that way, right? Courage is like a muscle. You gotta you gotta work it. Uh, and and I'm wondering whether or not you are seeing, have seen the examples of the good white folk who are, in fact, courageous enough in meetings like that to call out that kind of bias when they see it, when they hear it.
1: I love what you bring up. It's not easy. There's politics and privilege in our workplaces. Mm -hmm. There's dynamics of power, and how do you do that? But you can always pull someone aside. Let's say that happened in a public setting about, I keep using your Cadillac example, what a powerful story. What, What if I couldn't say something in the moment, but I pull the division president aside afterwards. I was really uncomfortable with this line of questioning and conversation. This can't be the decision we make. But, but there that, are moments to do it.
0: Yeah, but but yeah. That, but, but that but that's an old trope. That's an old racist trope because what happens when you do that, if you're a white person and you pull the other white person aside, then they, they look at you funny for siding with the Negroes. Like whose side are you really <laughs> on here? And then you may end up paying a price for being and acting courageously in that moment, whether you whether you do it in the room or pull them to the side, Mita.
1: That is true. But if enough of us do it, there's a tipping point. That's what I argue in reimagined inclusion. Mm -hmm. If enough of us do it, there's a tipping point. And so in the private moments and in the big moments, that's how you're talking about building the courage, the muscle courage, right? Sometimes it's in those one-on-one moments versus 20 people in a room.
0: Yeah. Um, Given what you've endured um, your entire life, uh, chasing inclusion, as you put it earlier, your whole Mm -hmm. life. Given this book you've written, Reimagine Inclusion, debunking 13 myths to transform your workplace, given all that you've seen, all that you've endured, how do you sustain your
1: hope, Nita? My children, mm. all of our children. I don't want them to endure what I endured in our workplaces or in my childhood. And so I do this work for them, for my nephew, my nieces. I want the world to be different, and I'm determined to do what I can as long as I'm here to make that
0: happen. We agree. We we, we never, this is the story of what it means to be a person of color in this country. We never let misery have Mm -hmm. the last word. We never let misery have the last word. Her name is Mita Malik. The book is called Reimagine Inclusion, Debunking 13 Myths to Transform Your Workplace. Mita, congrats on the book. Good to have you back on this program. We'll do it again somewhere down the road. I look forward to it.